Let's turn to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. David in this 18th Psalm expresses the resolve to be a man of prayer. We started a series on the Psalm several weeks ago, and uh, it's helpful as you read the Psalm to sort of let your soul be in tune with the Psalm. Augustine puts it like this. He says, When thy heart is in the Psalms, if the psalm prays, pray thou. If it mourns, mourn thou. If it hope, hope thou. Hopes, hope thou. He says that the psalter is the looking glass of the soul. Reflect what you see there. David opens this psalm and in this psalm pins a a thanks to God, an acknowledgement to God for God's deliverances of him. In this 18th Psalm, he starts off with a description of what the Lord is to him. Verse 1, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. You notice, uh, he tells us what the Lord is to him. The Lord is my rock. And the original is the idea of a, cra- of a crag, a prominent rock high above his enemies where he's safe. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. I run into him and I am safe, says David. He is my deliverer. I've called on him and he has delivered me in trouble. He is my God. He is my strength in whom I will trust. David, as a teenage boy, goes out to fight Goliath. Strong men of war dared not go, but David goes. Where does he get the courage? Well, he's confident that God is his strength. You come to me with a sword and a shield and a spear. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. He will deliver you into my hands. God is my strength. He is my buckler, part of my armor. He is the horn, the power of my salvation. He is my high tower, says David. God is all of these things to me. Notice the emotion that generates as he reflects on what the Lord is to him. He says in verse 1, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. I dearly love you for what you are to me. Now, if physical deliverances... Uh, that David experienced engendered this emotional response of love. How much more the spiritual deliverances that you and I have experienced. Of course, he experienced that too, but he didn't know uh, that God the Son was going to die for his sins. And we know that. Uh, He didn't uh, know... uh, some of the tremendous things we know that God is to us and has done to us. Jesus has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and holiness, sanctification. He is all these things to us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are more than conquerors through Him. Uh, Shouldn't, knowing this and experiencing this, we have this same emotion, I will love Thee, O Lord. Now, David's description of what the Lord is to him leads into a resolution that he will be a man of prayer. Verse 3, I will call upon the Lord. 
David said, in the light of who God is, what he has done, I am resolved to call upon the Lord. I will be a man of prayer. That's an important decision. Are you resolved to be something? You say, yes, I'm resolved to be a good mother. I'm resolved to be a good student. I'm resolved to be a good athlete. I'm resolved to be a success in my business. David said, I'm resolved to be a man of prayer. I will call upon the Lord. Tremendously important resolution, purpose of life that he makes in the light of certain things. You know, he says, I will call upon the Lord. And he gives his reasons for he is worthy to be praised. My first reason is the character of God. He is worthy to be praised. God is weighty. He is worthy. He is worth everything. And uh, I will praise him. I'm resolved to do that because of God's character. Is that not only because of God's character, but because of my circumstances, so shall I be saved from my enemies. David said, I'm going to be a man of prayer, number one, because of God's character, number two, because I have needs. I have enemies in this world. And I need help. And it's only as I call upon the Lord that I'll be saved from those enemies. You and I have enemies in this world. Our number one enemy is our or our spiritual enemies. Our number one enemies are our spiritual enemies. And there, the number one enemy is our guilt before holy God. Whatever other problems you and I may have, my number one problem is that I have broken God's holy law. And if I don't solve that problem, I'm headed. I'm ruined for eternity. Now, what other problems you may have, that's your number one problem. How do you solve that problem? You call upon the Lord. How do you do that? Spanish-American War, Clara Barton, the founder of the Red Cross, was in Cuba, and so was Colonel Teddy Roosevelt with his Rough Riders. Well, it was rough going for the Rough Riders, and uh, Colonel Roosevelt came to Clara Barton with the desire to purchase some materials for his soldiers, some food, some uh, bandages and medicine, etc. And Clara Barton wouldn't sell it to him. And he was very upset. And he went finally to the surgeon in charge and he said, surgeon, he said, sir, I do not understand. He said, I have needs. My men have needs. I'm willing to pay for this out of my own funds and I do not understand why she will not sell me what I need. And the surgeon looked at him and said, Colonel, just asked for it. He said, what? It's just asked for it. He said, oh, it's not for sale. He went back and he said, Miss Barton, would you give me these things for my men? Certainly, Colonel. I'm down here to give those things out, but I won't sell them to you. And she gives them. Well, that's what God says to you and me. You can't earn my salvation or my forgiveness. It's not for sale. Just ask for it in faith in my son who died for your sins. It's a gift. And it'll be yours. Ask in faith, really repentant, and trust him.
to forgive you. That's the start. But that's, and that takes care of my guilt before a holy God. My guilt is removed. I'm justified. I'm adopted into His family. I'm going to heaven. But then I still have spiritual enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And those are serious. And those can wreak havoc in my life and the life of my family. Uh, B.J. Thomas, popular contemporary singer, in a testimony in Guidepost magazine some time back, told about some of those enemies at work in his family. He told how he had been on drugs, and uh, through his wife's uh, testimony, he had become a Christian. And his life had really changed, and he'd gotten off of drugs. Uh, they had gone uh, now uh, as a family on a vacation. Uh, prior to uh, becoming a Christian, he'd had a real problem with temper, among other things. One day uh, in the Holy Land, on their vacation, he was there, his wife, little girl, Paige. They go out, and the little girl is kind of contrary all day long. But he just puts up with it and comes back to the apartment. They're tired, and he's trying to open the door, and he has his hands full of things. And he asks the little girl to hold the stuff in his hands. So he can open the door and she won't do it. She just decides to be uh, trying. He says she was testing me, trying my patience. So he said, Paige, I'm not in the mood. She giggled and I could feel my temper rising. Then Gloria spoke up. Honey, if you'd straightened Paige out this morning, this wouldn't be happening. Any men present? Any? That did it. Gloria's words added fuel to my already hot temper, which shot up like a skyrocket. Don't I ballot kick in the door of my foot? Tell me what to do! No one here has ever acted like that. My face was red with rage, and for the next ten minutes, I ranted and raved around the hotel room like some tyrant. Unable to control myself, I couldn't believe my behavior. Paige started crying. Gloria fell strangely silent. I glanced over at her, and my heart sank when I saw the expression on her face. I hadn't seen that look in years. A horrible combination of disappointment and pity. How can this be, I thought. I'm different. I've changed. I'm supposedly a new man. But it's painfully clear I was a new man face-to-face with an old problem. My temper, like an old demon in hiding, had surfaced again with a roar. Finally, I couldn't stand the silence. Gloria, I said... She looked up at me warily. I'm sorry. It's okay, Gloria said. I don't know what to do. I said. Well, Gloria said thoughtfully, we could try praying. I mean, that's never failed to help us before, no matter what the problem. Let's do that, he said. And they sat down together on the bed and joined hands and prayed that God would help him with his temper, and he was able to control it throughout the remainder of the trip. All of us have spiritual enemies. The flesh is a very real enemy. And prayer helps. I will call upon the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. That's just one little illustration of a dreadful enemy that can deal us fits. David's resolution to be a man of prayer.
David's recitation, he recites God's past deliverances. Really what he does here is he sort of takes all of God's deliverances and sums them up into a highly poetic description of God delivering him. In uh, verse 4 to 6, he describes his distress and then God's deliverance. Verse 4, the sorrows of death compassed me. The floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death surrounded me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. And then the deliverance. He heard my voice out of his temple. And my cry came before him, even into his ears. Notice this poetic description of the deliverance. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken, because he was wroth that someone had hurt his servant, threatened his servant. And God comes to the rescue, and the earth trembled, said David. Verse 16. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those which hated me, for they were too strong for me. That's reminiscent of Psalm 34. This poor man cried, and the Lord delivered him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Man alive. Anybody here give that testimony? This poor man cried, and the Lord delivered him out of all of his troubles. You know, uh, God does deliver from many troubles as we call on Him, and in sometimes strange ways. James Gilmore was a missionary to Mongolia. On one occasion, he was called in by one of the warlords and told to medically treat three wounded soldiers. Well, James Gilmore wasn't a doctor, but like most missionaries, he had some elementary knowledge of medicine. He had to, to survive. He treated the first two, but when he came to the third one, this soldier had a badly broken thigh bone. And James Gilmore had no idea how to set it. He called upon the Lord. Lord, help. Lord, show me how to set this thigh bone. Well, to complicate his problem, about that point, about ten minutes later, some beggars came wandering in the way he was trying to treat this fellow and wanted them to give them something to eat or help them. And he had a little money, and so he dug in his pocket, gave them the money, and sent them off. But one beggar stayed and hung around. And this beggar was, he was a walking skeleton. He was just so emaciated, he was nothing but a bag of bones, literally. And he said, I don't need this living skeleton around here when I'm, when I'm trying to repair this man's leg. He said, come here. <laughs> He realized God had brought him an anatomy lesson, a walking anatomy lesson. And he said, you mind if I feel your leg? <laughs> and he, he got the feel of it. He went over and was able to set the bone. Unusual answer to prayer. We had uh, one of our deacons here last week. Uh, was out at a church across town, and uh, the lady there, I said, someone here needs some help. And he went in. Here was a lady whose husband was out of work. He was a roofer. He was out of work. Had two children, no income. And the lady was in tears. She was crying. And 
our deacon didn't know what to do, but he said, let's have prayer. And he, he literally, right there in the, in the lobby of that church there, he knelt down and had prayer that God would give this man a job. Came back over here, walked in, and a receptionist said, Tom, uh, I, here's a message came in, and I really ought to give it to Chuck Morgan, but you're on the social services committee. You might be interested in this. There's a man called in here who's a roofing contractor. He wondered if we had any roofers. He said, what? He called the man up. The man hired this man and his son. Now, you know, we've been in operation a long time. We've never had anybody called here for roofers. <laughs> I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. We, had a, we have a young couple from our church, John and Ruthie Weed, who are missionaries. Uh, they were in the Middle East a couple of years ago. Uh, when Ruthie gave birth to a baby. As the baby was being born between 10 and 10.30 at night, as the baby made its entrance into this world, the umbilical cord was wrapped around the throat of the baby, and the baby was not breathing. It was wrapped around twice. Because everybody in the room began praying, the doctor tried to get the baby to breathe, and he tried for 20 minutes. At the end of 20 minutes, he gave up and walked away. Suddenly, the baby began breathing. The baby is healthy, no damage whatsoever today. The next day, John and Ruthie found out from a friend of theirs who hadn't known that they'd gone to the hospital, who was there in the city with them, a Christian friend, that he... Uh, had had a vision right at that time, same time, and yes, he never had a vision before, probably never has had one since, but he had a vision where in his mind's eye he saw the hospital room, he saw the dead baby, he saw the doctor trying to get the baby to breathe, and in his vision he begins praying, and he goes over and lays hands on the baby after the doctor has walked away in the vision, and the baby begins breathing. Nine weeks later, they got a letter from Ruthie's grandmother in this country saying that she had been awakened at 3 a.m. in the morning. This, was, this corresponds to 10 a.m. in Egypt. She had been awakened at 3 a.m. in the morning on this particular day, very burdened to pray for them. She didn't know why. Had anything unusual occurred at that time on that day? God answers when we pray. He leads us to pray and answers as we pray. David recites God's past deliverances. He explains, though, why in his view God answered. Look at verse 20. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. You know what he's reading? He said, one reason God answered my prayers when I cried out in my distress was that I have been walking with him. I was on praying ground. This isn't self-righteousness. And this doesn't mean that David wasn't a sinner like everybody is a sinner. But nonetheless, David was not 
departing from the Lord. He was not living in a life of disobedience. He was walking with God. He was trying to do God's will. And when he failed to do God's will, he asked forgiveness and kept trying. He's walking with the Lord. And he said, I was on praying ground. God uh, has certain conditions of answered prayer. The Lord's arm is not heavy that he cannot save, neither is his ear deaf that he cannot hear. But your sins have separated between you and your God, says Isaiah. New Testament in 1 John chapter 3, verse 21, If our heart condemn us not, if the testimony of my conscience is that I am walking with him, if our heart condemn us not, we have confidence toward God that whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. One condition is that we be walking with him. Um, he draws this into a principle. He, he observes how God responded when he called and how God responds when others call, and he makes it into a principle. In verse 25, With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the crooked or froward thou wilt show thyself crooked or froward. Notice what he says. He says, uh, I've observed that God deals with men as they deal with him. That he lets them set the pattern. If they are merciful... Uh, if they are upright, God is merciful, God is upright. If they are double-dealing, then God will be rough with them. God lets man set the pattern. What pattern are you setting for God to deal with you on the basis of? He elaborates, finally, on God's deliverances. In verse 28, he says, uh, Thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness, for by thee I have run through a troop. And by my God, I have leaped over a wall. What God uh, had done for him. He said, I've been able to do things I physically could not do because God enabled me to do them. Uh, verse 33, he says, He maketh my feet like hands' feet and setteth me upon my high places. Verse 34, He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. He's given me dexterity with instruments of war says David. And uh, he sums it up in verse 40 when he says, Thou also hast given me the necks of mine enemies that I might destroy them that hate me. Now, how did David feel as he reflects on and elaborates on God's deliverances? Look at verse 46. The Lord liveth. And blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. David said, God's alive. The Lord liveth. Other gods are dead. My God is alive. When you call on my God and you're walking with my God, my God lives and he acts. The Lord liveth. Blessed be my rock. He is steadfast, and I praise him for it. And let the God of my salvation be exalted. I exalt you, O God, for who you are and what you've done, as I have called upon you. Now, let's take David's resolve. Let's let it be a looking glass. Let's take David's resolve and make it our own. I will call upon the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. So shall I 
be saved from my enemies. Let's make that our resolve. Let's resolve to be men and women of prayer. Let's do it as individuals. Let's do it as a church. Certainly we've experienced his deliverances as a church and as individuals. If I were to ask for testimonies, anybody here that could say this poor man cried and the Lord heard him delivered? Anybody here want to give a testimony? I'd have people stand up. Yes, he saved me from alcohol. Yes, he saved my marriage. Yes, my child was dying. And we prayed and there was no prospect. And God raised my child up. Yes, I was on drugs and God delivered. Yes, I was a drug pusher. We would have all those testimonies, every one of them sitting right here before me, and many, many more, where God has answered. David resolved in the light of that to be a man of prayer. How do you do it, though? How do you flesh it out? You say, all right, I want to resolve to be a man of prayer. How do you flesh it out? Well, let's start with our 24-hour period here. Join hands in that. Take one of those slots. I tell you, I tell you when there's... It won't be real crowded. About 2 a.m. this morning. That's a good time. Uh, Tom be up here with you, right? That's right. Yeah, okay. Tom be. Uh, take one of those slots and join with us in that. That's a starting place. And then uh, get in a prayer group like the men's groups that meet or the early morning, 5 a.m. prayer morning, prayer group here on Wednesday morning or 6 a.m. group here on Wednesday morning. One of the ladies' groups. Go to the ladies' prayer retreat if you're late. Uh, read books on prayer. Alsby on prayer. E.M. Bounds on prayer. Andrew Murray on prayer. Missionary Bargers, Hudson Taylor, George Mueller. Read books like that. Uh, then set aside time daily. Carve it out. You've heard the little poem, I got up early one morning and rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish, I didn't have time to pray. Trouble just tumbled about me. And heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me, I wondered. He answered, you didn't ask. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish, I had to take time to pray. Let's resolve to give time to it. Let's resolve to be on praying ground. Let's resolve to start, if you haven't already started, by asking for the gift of salvation, as Colonel Roosevelt had to ask. Couldn't buy, had to ask. Let's ask. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Let us pray. We thank you, Father, that you are the living God and we would bless you as our rock and exalt you as the God of our salvation. Father, we would take David's resolve and make it ours that I will call upon the Lord. As our hearts are bowed, just in your heart, make that resolve. Do you want to be a man of prayer or a woman of prayer, a child of prayer? Resolve it. And ask God to show you how to flesh it out, how to make it real. It'll take discipline. It'll take work. Where to start with it? Are you on praying ground?
walking with Him? Is there some area of disobedience in your life? Have you made that initial asking and receiving the gift of salvation? If not, start there, right now, in your heart. Pray like this. Lord Jesus, I come as Colonel Roosevelt and acknowledge I can't buy your forgiveness. I asked for it through Jesus Christ as a gift. And I give myself in return. Amen.